The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Greetings from Camp Nudemick. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Nancy. I'm the program director at Camp Nudemick. I'm really excited to be here with you today. Unfortunately, I can't be with you in person like we had planned, um, but I get to share the same screen with you, so I'm grateful for that. Uh, if you're anything like me, you're getting tired of the words unprecedented and normal, and you probably just rolled your eyes at me because I used those words. The stay-at-home orders are admittedly hard and growing tiresome, uh, and that is our reality. Camp has felt very different this past year without regular programs, without rental groups, and I do certainly long for the normalcy uh, of camp from years past. It is our heart's desire to see camp running again, to have those campers on site telling them about Jesus, uh, growing disciples and developing leaders. It's what we love and long to do at Camp Nudemick. Um, during this season, I came across Isaiah 43. It's not a passage that ever really spoke to me very deeply before, but I was held captive by this passage while I read it this time. Um, in verse 5, God is talking to Israel and reminding them not to be afraid um, because God is with them. God talks about gathering his people back together, the people who claim him as their God, the people that he made for his glory. In verse 10, God tells the people um, that they were chosen to know him and that nobody can snatch them from his hand. Then in verse 14, God reminds them of who he is and what he has done for them. He saved his people. And then he says, but forget all that. And that really caught my attention because he just reminded them of all these amazing things that he has done for them. And he says, forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Can't you see it? That's Isaiah 43 verse 18. And in my spirit, I knew that those words were for myself and for all of us who were involved in the ministry at Camp Nudemick. Um, we recognize what God has done in the past and we praise him for that. And, and we recognize where he has brought us and we praise him for that. And now God is telling us that he is doing something new right here in this moment he is about to do something new not the normal that we have grown accustomed to and that we really long for no this is exciting it's something new and it's going to be amazing and i get to be a part of it i am getting really excited to see what god is preparing to do at camp Munich. and so while i'll admit i still long for the normalcy and the programming that i know but in the same breath I am filled with excitement and anticipation for the new thing that God is doing. And all the planning that we were doing uh, throughout the spring and the winter months is paying off because we have decided to run day camps and family camps at Camp Nudemick this summer. That means that there is a little bit of hustle and bustle going on. Uh, Jeff, Angela and I are working hard preparing for the summer. I'm in the midst of staff interviews and registrations just went online yesterday and I'm creating schedules and program planning. Angela's creating menus and figuring out what the dining hall is going to look like. Jeff is getting facilities and property ready. Um, and and we're, we're preparing for, uh, for campers and families to come on site. And of course, we're reading through pages and pages of regulations that we need to adhere to. And we're praying through all of that as well. 
And so there is actually a lot going on at camp these days, even though it feels really empty. Um, it's funny, it actually feels like the weather that we've been experiencing this spring is a picture of the ebbs and flows working in camping ministry in this season. Sunshine, then clouds, wind, rain, snow, calm, sunshine, rain, and in it all, God has given me a great sense of joy and excitement. The reality is we have some really big needs at camp. Um, we need to raise $260,000 simply to cover our operational costs. So keeping the camp running, insurance, hydro, all the boring stuff that needs to keep going. We have a lot of new regulations to navigate and we are running short staff this year, um, but God is faithful and we are not in this alone. And I want to encourage you that wherever you're at right now in this season of your life, if there's something hard you're up against, God's with you too. And you're not in this alone either. Our theme for this summer is reflect. In May each year, I finalize our theme for the upcoming year. So last year, while we were uh, preparing for the summer um, and we were working with last year's theme of live fearless, um, I was praying about what God wanted to be teaching us in the 2021 season. And what came to mind was this idea of being shaped and molded in our current circumstances. And when we allow God to walk us through seasons of our life, we come out looking different on the other side, which led me to our theme verse, uh, which is found in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. It says, we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him and reflect his glory even more. This verse and the passages that I've been digging through in preparation for the summer have had a huge impact on me already. And I am really excited to see how God is going to be using um, the theme this summer in the lives of the staff and campers and families that are on site with us this summer. One last thing before I go, I want you to know as a church family, as the White Ridge Church family, that you are making a huge impact at Camp Nudemic. Your financial support doesn't go unnoticed. I know we ask for money a lot and the need is great, um, but your financial support is so appreciated and your prayers are felt. And um, when we have our brothers and sisters carrying us and covering us in prayer, uh, those prayers are going to a God who listens and who loves and cares and answers. Um, and he is listening to your prayers on our behalf. So thank you so much for those. Thank you for trusting us with your children, your youth, your young adults. We've been seeing a very large number of leadership campers and staff coming out of White Ridge these past years. Um, and it's really exciting seeing them grow in their faith and grow as leaders. Um, and it really is a privilege to be able to pour into your church family in the ways that we can at Camp Mutamic. Um, So thank you for trusting us with them. Thank you for all the people who come and volunteer and serve alongside with us, whether it's for work days uh, or it's for uh, during the summer program, or those of you who have come out to help us during the rental season when we've been shorthanded. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I really can't say it enough. I mean it from the, from the whole of my heart. Thank you for, 
for what you're doing to come alongside us at Camp Nudimic. As I mentioned already, the financial needs are great this year, and uh, we really are deeply desiring that our church families cover us in prayer again this year. Um, some of the things that we're asking prayer for are wisdom and energy for the board and staff as we navigate another summer that is different from anything that we've ever experienced. Um, please pray for a bold faith for us that God would provide resources and staff to more than uh, provide for our needs at camp. Um, please pray for health and for safety for our staff as they serve the families and children this summer. Alongside everything else that is going on at camp right now, we're also preparing uh, to get going on our capital project, which is renovations of the summer washrooms, turning them into all-season washrooms, though they might always be called summer washrooms, let's be honest. Um, and so another prayer request is the expedience of permit pro process so that we can complete our new bathrooms quickly as we need them for the summer program uh, and to do what we do at Camp Nudimic. I wanted to at least bring a little bit of camp with me this morning, so I'm leaving you with a short video that I hope will bring some camp joy into your homes this morning. Thank you for allowing me to spend some time with you. Thank you for the way that you are coming alongside us at Camp Nudimic, and blessings on you, White Ridge, and your church family. Here at Camp Nudimic, we're about reaching kids with the gospel, growing disciples, and developing leaders, all while having a great time at camp. I love camp and all the awesome aspects of it. I love the great conversation, the great games, and the great food that they provide. As a camper, going to camp meant preparing my heart and asking God for the tools to be a light in the world. Now, as a staff, it means encouraging others to do the same and walk with them in their faith as they discover who Jesus is. Most importantly, I think the main thing that keeps me coming back is just how I'm able to put away all the distractions of life and I'm able to go out there and I'm able to just fully immerse myself in scripture and the love of Jesus and dig into his word and deepen my relationship with him. I've experienced God's persistent love for both campers and staff alike. Camp is a very special place to me because it gives me an opportunity to share the gospel with kids who may not hear that at home or at school or in their everyday lives. And I think that's very cool. I get to share Jesus with kids while also learning more about him myself. I've experienced God at camp by his love shown through others his awesome power in creation, and learning to trust him. I've also experienced incredible community and reliance on both each other and on God as we've navigated tough challenges uh, through the camp season. I'm Nancy, the program director at Camp Nudimic. 
While we're still not able to run our regular programs at camp, God is making a way for us to do our programming differently so we can still do ministry on site through day camps and family camps. And you know what? Different may be hard, but different can also be amazing. While our needs are great, our God is greater. And I hope that the pictures and the testimonies that you saw here today gets you excited about what God can do at camp this summer. And I'm looking forward to coming back to you in the fall with stories about what God did at camp. As one of our supporting churches, I want you to know that we are incredibly thankful for you. Thank you for your prayers, financial support, and for serving alongside us to make a difference in the lives of children and their families. From all of us at Camp Nunamik, may God bless you and keep you in his care on the road ahead, and thank you for being a part of the ministry and work that we do at Camp Nunamik. Amen. Thank you. Camp Nudemick for, uh, for that video, for how informative it was and how encouraging it was uh, and how joyful it was. So good to see those pictures and be reminded of, of some of the ways that God has been working at camp. And we trust that he's going to be working at camp this summer as well in profound ways. Um, as you heard on the video, uh, Nancy has asked us to pray about some specific things. And we're going to take a moment just now to pray for the ministry of Camp Nudemic. So please join with me in prayer. Father, I thank you that you hear us every day and that you see us every day. I thank you for all of the people who uh, you have changed through the ministry of Camp Nudemic, all of the people who you have saved through the ministry of Camp Nudemic. And I thank you for all of the people that you know you're going to continue uh, or that you're going to reach into in the future because of this camp ministry as well. And we pray that you would bless Camp Nudemic with uh, a rich harvest of, of changed lives, of growing young hearts who long to worship you with their lives. And God, I pray that you would, you would meet them in their places of need that they've, that they've expressed. God, I pray for wisdom and energy for the board and the staff as they make decisions about all kinds of things related to COVID and guidelines and what that's going to look like in camp ministry. Uh, that's a lot, of, a lot of things to juggle while still having a program that they want to do. Uh, and I pray that you would give them wisdom about how to do that uh, safely and, and also in a way that honors, honors you. And I pray that you bless them with that, with that wisdom. Uh, also, Lord, uh, I pray that, that you would continue to bless with resources uh, increase our faith in times where it's uncertain as to how you are going to meet us. Uh, but I pray that you would increase our faith in that and that you would bless uh, Camp Nudemic with, with unexpected and miraculous ways of meeting the needs that they see that they have. Uh, and we pray for health and safety for them and for all the kids and families who are going to be involved in camp ministry this year. And, and finally, Lord, as they're working on this new project, as they're uh, changing things in the, in the, the washrooms. I pray that, uh, that you would bring in the resources and the people and the time, <clears throat> the appropriate weather, whatever they need. I pray that you would bless that project and that they could get that completed this year. Thank you again, Lord, for, for reaching into people's lives and changing us. And I thank you for how you use that ministry. I pray that you'd bless them deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. My friends, our God has saved us from being slaves to sin. He saved us from being slaves to serving ourselves in all of the useless places that that goes. 
and he has brought us into a new relationship with Jesus where we are free to honor Christ and know Christ. And we're going to be singing songs about that this morning. So please sing with us uh, or reflect on the words, whatever you do at home, but may this be a time of, of worship of, of our God who deserves it. Let's sing this together. Good morning, church. My name is Emma. And I'm Jackson. And today we're going to be reading from Romans chapter 6, verses 15 to 23. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God, though, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. From the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, Jackson and Emma, for reading the scripture to us this morning. I want to tell you uh, to start with about an old Western movie. Uh, old Westerns are one of my favorite genres of movies. And uh, I wanted to tell you about an old movie called The Hanging Tree, in which uh, Gary Cooper is, um, uh, plays the part of a doctor in a gold mining camp in the late 1800s. By the way, that was filmed in 1959, which happens to be a very good year, I'm told. One day, a young boy is caught stealing gold uh, in this gold mining camp, and uh, he's shot, but he escapes, and he ends up hanging out in an abandoned cabin. Well, the doctor of the movie, who's played by Gary Cooper, finds him first, and he nurses him back to health. And when he regains consciousness, he asks the doctor what he's going to do with him. And um, the doctor says this to him, You will be my servant for as long as I want you to be, maybe forever, because that is how long you would be dead if this slug had remained in you. <laughs> Well, Paul teaches in the book of Romans that um, the result of our sin is death. Sin is like that bullet that in the, it was in the boy. If, if it was going to stay in us, sin was going to stay in us or us in sin, then it would lead to death. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, the great physician, comes along and he offers to remove sin from our lives and to make us his, so we belong to him. And so the believer faces a death 
Last week in chapter 6 and verse 1 of our scripture and following, we talked about how we were crucified with Christ, buried with him, raised to new life with him. Paul is talking about how the believer's life is bound up in union with Jesus Christ. Pat uh, shared with me a devotional that she's been reading recently by Robert Morgan called All, All for Jesus, All to Jesus. And uh, he shares in this devotional at one day that when we give ourselves to Jesus, we meet ourselves coming and going at the cemetery. There's a sense in which we pass from death to life, and there's another sense in which we pass from life to death. The idea that we are crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live. Another author talks about how he executes himself every day with 220 volts. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. And so in the scripture today that we're continuing on with in chapter 6, we're, we're looking at uh, the same theme of our union with Christ and how it leads to our sanctification. But in this scripture, he changes the metaphor. He talk, starts talking about being slaves of God. But God is unlike any other slave owner. We're not indebted to God or even to Jesus, though, though Jesus paid a debt that we could never pay and has rescued us from sin and death. To speak of a debt of gratitude, for example, leads to what is called a debtor's ethic, and it can, it can lead us into a wrong understanding of what God did for us in Christ and, and what our salvation is all about. We do not have to atone for our sin. We do not have a debt we need to repay or could ever repay. In fact, if you've ever heard it said in a pulpit, Jesus has done so much for you, what are you doing for him? That's not the gospel of free grace that comes out of the scriptures. That's a guilt gospel. The gospel of free grace, as we're going to see today even, is the kind of gospel that says, no, there's nothing you could ever do to repay the debt that Jesus paid for you. And now out of love, we respond to God. I was reading this morning in my own quiet time in Psalm 51, and it's not until this understanding of a broken spirit is what God is looking for, that then, David writes, then will you delight in right sacrifice. It's not the sacrifices that we live, the, the, the repayment, if you say it that way, well, that's nothing that comes in order to gain this merit with God, but rather afterwards in response to the brokenness that God has brought us through and the grace that we've tasted and so the task that we have this morning in the Scripture is to consider, is consider how it is that we are slaves of God, and yet at the same time, we do not live our lives under a sense of spiritual debt or obligation. That's what we want to look at today, and I'd like to just maybe pray before we move further into this Scripture. Oh, Lord God, um, I just ask you to help me as I share the word this morning. Lord, that you would uh, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit in me, in all of us who sit under the word today, that, Lord, you might be pleased to draw us into your presence closer and closer and give us a willing spirit to sustain us, Lord. Help us, Father, to see the joy of our salvation, and out of that joy, bring it into obedience, Lord. 
a joyful obedience. And uh, not a have-to obedience, not a guilt obedience, not a try-to-make-myself-better obedience, but a joy obedience, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we uh, looked at three words that are critical for us to understand in the verse, first 14 verses of chapter 6. Know, consider, and represent. The idea is that Paul wants us to know a certain amount about our salvation, and that word know, as I said last week, is epigenosis, experiential knowledge. And once we know that, then he wants us to, to then offer that to ourselves, consider ourselves, consider that reality true. And then thirdly, he says, do something about it, present yourselves to God, as, as he will say later on in the, in the book as well. And so this whole process is part of being united with Christ. James Stewart said, union with Christ is not something we achieve by effort, it's something we accept by faith, but it's not a passive faith. It's, it's this presenting of ourselves actively before God day by day. Paul proceeds now to use this illustration of slavery to describe and to drive home his point. But I ask you, why is it that he chooses the metaphor of slavery? <clears throat> and I think there's two good reasons. First of all, slavery describes the nature of our relationship to sin if we do not have a new master that overcomes it. It describes our relationship with sin or it describes our relationship with God. Slavery is a perfect metaphor in that way as we're going to see in the Scripture today. But secondly, and perhaps more pointedly, it's a perfect example for Paul to use with writing to the church at Rome because it's estimated that one-third of Rome's population at the time of Paul were slaves. In fact, one source I read said that there were more slaves in Rome than those who actually had Roman citizenship. And so many of the believers in the church at Rome would have been slaves. Some estimate maybe even half of the church in Rome were slaves. Some of them might have been slave owners. Some of them might have been slaves and now had been set free. All that to say simply that this metaphor of slavery was something that the first century church, the first listeners of the, of the letter to Rome would have certainly understood. And there are five key principles about slavery that I think we need to understand. And um, the author, Martin Lloyd-Jones, helps us with these five points. The first one is that if we present ourselves as a slave to any power, we become slaves of that power. There's that word present again. If we open the door to any power in our lives, if we present ourselves in that way, we become slaves to that power. Secondly, there are only two ultimate powers in all of the universe. Either we obey sin or we obey God. You're, there's no middle ground. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ, as Paul has been arguing in Romans. Thirdly, these two powers of sin and of God are different and utterly opposed to each other. Jesus taught that when he said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter, uh, or sorry, in John chapter 10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to rob, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So there is this, these two opposite lords, two opposite powers, utter, utterly opposed to each other. 
Fourthly, it is impossible to serve both of these masters at the same time. You will either be a slave of sin or you will be a slave of God. You cannot serve both of them. At Jesus, again, in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 24, he says you cannot serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other or cling to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, Jesus says. And then finally, the fifth point of slavery that we need to understand is that our true master is revealed not by what we say with our lips, profess with our lips, but what we actually do. And so these five things are very important. A guy by the name of E.M. Forster said, there are two kinds of people in the world. There's the kind that say there are two kinds of people in the world, and then there's the other kind. (laughs) And we're the kind of people that say, along with God and his word, there are two kinds of people in this world. Jesus teaches it so clearly. You either serve sin and follow that path, or you serve God and are a child of God, a slave of God. Now, Again, the first century believers knew that the primary characteristic of slavery was obedience. Obedience was the word that came to mind as soon as they thought about slavery. It's the hallmark. It was then and it is now. Regardless of what form enslavement takes, obedience is the hallmark, the word that defines and describes slavery. Whatever you give yourselves over to, that you will obey. Call them sins, if you want. Call them bad habits, if you want. Call them weaknesses or hang-ups or addictions or whatever word you want to call it. Whatever you want, but they will require your obedience and ultimate submission. They won't rest, they won't leave you alone until they either have your obedience or you, with another power of another master, put them to death. There's only two options. There's no middle ground. And you can uh, disagree with that, but you'd be wrong. The human heart longs for a master, a Lord. John chapter 8, we read about a story in the life of Jesus that uh, he was discussing a group with a group of Jewish leaders who didn't agree with that conclusion that I just described. They were discussing slavery and freedom, and Jesus, uh, they, say, we, they say to Jesus, we are Abraham's offspring, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. That's amazing for a Jewish person to, to say that. I don't know where they put the 400 years in Egypt under that category, but that's what they said to Jesus. Jesus responds by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So Jesus gives us the definition of slavery right there. He says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. We'll come back to that definition later on. So the question that is being asked by Paul in verse 15, which is similar to the one that he asked in verse 1 of chapter 6, is um, are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And uh, Paul is attempting to answer the objections that are in the minds of his listeners, the idea that perhaps free grace and forgiveness leads to a a license to sin. And he's going to combat that with the argument of slavery, the illustration of slavery. His answer is, of course, an absolute no, that's impossible, and he argues from the place of obedience that slavery automatically 
entails. Let's look at verse 16. Paul says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves, there's that word present again, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, slavery is not an easy thing for us to understand in Canada in the 21st century. And uh, yet, I mean, it's been abolished uh, on many parts of the world for a long time. And yet, the fact is that slavery still goes on in various forms, in our own personal lives, as well as on a corporate and collective and societal level. Slavery still goes on. I perhaps should remind you of what David Pollandine shared with us last week when he talked last week with us about human trafficking that goes on even in our city, and he invited us all to join him and Joy Smith on a Zoom call on May the 30th at 7 p.m. And uh, by the way, I remember when Joy Smith visited our church family. It was 2014. We were preaching through the book of Philippians. And I remember us talking about it's her favorite book because it's joy. It's all about joy. And at that time, she was an MP, and she was really starting to address the human trafficking that she saw. And uh, now she is in it full time. And so if you can come May 30th, uh, you, can, you can find that information on Zoom and uh, on our webpage. Slavery, you see, involves being owned and controlled by someone or another force. They have such force over you when you're a slave that not obeying them and the consequences that brings are not an option to many who find themselves enslaved. The result is that you are worn out, you are weakened to the point of surrender to that which you have been enslaved by. What I'm describing is true of being slaves to sin as well. It requires obedience. Sin will require obedience. Name whatever brand you want to, it will have the same effect. If the sin that you have opened the door to, that you have presented yourself to, if the sin that you have presented yourself to is a bitter heart, a bitter heart of resentment because someone has wronged you, well, that will not give up. It will hound you with resentment and thoughts of retribution, how you can make them pay. If the sin that you have opened the door to is a substance of, of abuse, of alcohol or substance abuse or or whatever like, like that, uh, addictive behavior, a gambling, a gluttony, a pornography, some addictive behavior, well, it will also take hold of you, and it will not let go. It requires obedience. It cannot be managed by you. It needs to be put to death by a new master that you will present yourself to instead of sin. And you can wrestle with, your, with it all, all lifelong, and you will, you, you will lose that battle. And then there are socially acceptable sins that we would call. The things that sneak into your heart innocently, so to speak. It starts out very innocently, but over time, they can become so demanding. They can require an inordinate amount of affection and time and money and attention. And they can end up controlling you as well. Good things, fun things. 
Your work can do that. Your job, your play, watching TV, online gaming, cleaning your house, renovating your house, cooking, recreational activities, you name it. Oz Guinness wrote a book several years ago called No God But God, and he talks about the fact that the human heart is an idol-making factory. It demands to be ruled by something. G.K. Chesterton said this. He said that when we cease to worship God, we don't worship nothing, we worship anything. You see, there's a vacuum in our heart that, that will be filled by something, ruled by something. That's why Bob Dylan was right. you got to serve somebody. And so could be the devil, could be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Each of us will choose a poison if we do not choose Jesus Christ. Essentially, idols come in two forms, though. There are the bad and shameful, inherently sinful items, and then there, there are the more good and acceptable, socially acceptable things And the ones that are inherently sinful, we should put to death. And the ones that are socially acceptable, we need to put in their place. Because it's all about the heart in the end. Who's on the throne of the heart? Who controls you? Whose slave are you? It takes courage for anyone to confront the giants in their lives. Whether it's a socially acceptable giant or a shameful giant. It takes courage to confront them, expose them, bring them into the light, talk to someone else about it, and it takes humility to then process. But it's the only way to freedom. And the amazing thing about the scripture that we're looking at today in Romans chapter 6 is that Paul commended the Roman Christians because in verse 17, you'll notice what it says, Be thanks be to God that you, you who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, you've now become slaves of righteousness. You know, this verse 17 along with it, verse 18, I suppose. But this verse here is one of the clearest verses of what it means to be a Christian. What is a Christian? Well, number one, a Christian is someone who's recognized, we've recognized that we were slaves to sin, and that led to a confession. Secondly, we became obedient from the heart to the teaching of the gospel And then thirdly, we were set free from sin and we became slaves of righteousness to a new master. Those three things are really what is involved in being a Christian or becoming a Christian. You confess, you believe, and then you belong to a new master. Have you done that in your life? Do you need to remind yourself of it this morning? That you have confessed God's estimation, God's assessment of you, you're a sinner that needs Jesus Christ? Have you believed in that teaching of the gospel, of what Jesus has taught us? And then have you recognized you can belong to him? Surrender your life. You can belong to a new master. Sin does not need to be your master in whatever form it's taken. In order, that's the order that the gift of grace comes in. You confess, you believe, and then you belong. What holds you back this morning from doing that? Let me tell you what's holding you back. Sin, your master is holding you back. But sin does not need to be your master. 
Jesus can be your master. Well, I want to, time, in the time we have, I want to compare, as Paul does, the irony of being slaves to God with the shame of being slaves to sin or of sin. Now, it may sound strange for you to think about your relationship with God as slavery, but it wasn't to the first century believers. In fact, in the New Testament, in Greek, in the New Testament, there were five different words that could describe servant or slave. And the one that Paul uses all throughout Romans chapter 6 is the most common one, the word doulos. It's used 127 times in the New Testament. And the next one that is used most frequently is the word diakonos, where we get our word deacon from. It's used about 30 times. So you can see that doulos is the primary word that is describing a household servant. All the writers, almost all the writers of the New Testament call themselves bond servants of Jesus Christ. But it's also reserved for that more extreme form of being an actual slave that had no rights. And so, in, uh, if we had more time, we could look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, where the law of Moses describes how slaves were treated. They worked six years on the seventh year. They were set free. They were blessed by their owner. And then, of course, they could ask to stay with, with that owner, and they could actually Uh, become part of the household, but they would remain a slave for the rest of their lives if they did so. It's an incredible picture that Paul is painting here with the background that we have from the Old Testament, as well as in Roman times in the New Testament. And so in in the case of slaves that, that were treated terribly, that were not treated like a household servant, their wage was indeed death. They worked for nothing and they died. That's the way so often they lived. And regardless of their status or their wage, they had no rights. They were obligated to obey. And if a servant decided at the end of those seven years to present themselves to their master and say, I want to stay with you because I've got nothing else, they'd become so dependent on that master then what would happen is that there would be a hole put in the ear that would mark that slave as the owner's possession. And it's a picture of how sin can grab hold. If you serve sin long enough, you lose yourself. You lose perspective. You become dependent. You think there's no hope out. There's no way out. You're helpless. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says there is a way out. The gospel of Christ says you can be set free. No matter how long an enslavement of sin, an addiction, or whatever else has had on you, you can be set free. God has a way. And so the Bible teaches us in this passage in Romans 6, in this extreme comparison. Will you go with me? It's an incredible comparison, but let's just take a look at it. The serving of sin or the serving of God as slaves to sin or slaves to God. Let's take a look. In Romans 6, it's described that being a slave of sin requires a total commitment even as being a slave of God does. The difference between these two pictures that are being painted by Paul is in the kind of master that you're serving and the fruit of having served those masters. Let's take a look at it. Verse 19. If you remain a slave to sin, that master will lead you to two things, impurity and lawlessness. Verse 19. 
Verse 21, that slavery to sin will lead you to shame and eventual death. The wages of sin is death. Verse 23. You see, friends, eternal death is earned even as eternal life is a free gift of God. And so sin will always lead you to impurity, lawlessness, shame, and death. But if you become a slave to God through faith in Jesus Christ and union with Christ, you will be set free from your former master and you will become a slave of righteousness, verse 18 and 19. And that will lead, verse 19, to your sanctification in verse 22. And that word sanctification describes that process where God takes you and he just, he just starts to take the sin out of you. He just starts to make you holy. He's just going to work away on all the rough edges. It'll take your whole life. But you're now a child of God and a slave of God. You're no longer a slave to sin, even as we just sang about. The vestiges of sin will remain with you after you've given your life to Christ. It will take time for you to learn to listen to the voice of the new master, to walk in the newness of life that he's given you. But you are going to be a new creature, a new slave, a new master, a new life. And God himself will be your master, which is the best thing of all. There is no master like Jesus. If the Son sets you free... You will be free indeed. There's no master like Jesus. In fact, in the scripture, it's interesting that Paul, when he talks about the wages of sin, it's called death. When he talks about, about eternal life and, and serving God, he doesn't call it wages. He calls it a free gift because there's no way you could ever earn all that God has done for you in Christ and will do for you in Christ. Your past, your present, your future, you could never earn that. It's a free gift of grace. And so to the answer of the question, shall we continue to sin because we're under grace instead of law, the absurdity of it comes out because the very question betrays the person who asks it. Those who are born of God have crossed over from being slaves to sin to being slaves of God. And though Christians can and still fall into sin sometimes, we don't practice sin, which is key. In 1 John chapter 3, there's a scripture, and it begins, maybe I'll begin with verse 4, where again, John is just saying what Jesus said in John 8 to the Pharisees. John says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning, who also practices lawlessness, sin is lawlessness, you know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, keeps on practicing sin. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And the key here is, again, this idea of practicing sin, of bedding down in it, of abiding in it. Clearly, John does not have in mind the fact that a Christian can sin. In fact, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I write that you will not sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so Paul also in Corinthians talks about how you, you, you've been bought with a price. Honor God with your body. You're free already. 
You've not yet fully experienced that emancipation. And Paul's going to continue to talk about it all the way through chapter 7 and into chapter 8. You see, Paul's trying to get us into chapter 8, but we've got to go through chapters 5, 6, and 7 to get there. And that's a tough road. In fact, I I was thinking this morning, if, if there's a Christian that doesn't like to talk about the subject of sin, there's a problem. Because the Bible talks a lot about sin. Now, obviously, we don't dwell upon it, we don't fixate on it, but we don't obsess on it. We get beyond it because we look at the Savior to sin, the solution for sin. That's where Paul's going to in Romans chapter 8. But we can't just, we can't just say, well, I don't want to talk about that. God wants to talk about it with you. God wants to sit down with you and have a conversation where you open up your heart and and he, he already sees what's there, but he op- you open up your heart and you just tell him, tell him will you help me? And, and, and Jesus comes in and helps you. Grace will flow into you as you see the kind of master that Jesus is. Do you remember the story of the woman that was caught in adultery in John chapter 8? And uh, Jesus is an incredible story, but the amazing thing about the story is that all the ones who had their stones ready to stone her for being a sinner, the one who had in all the universe the power to forgive her or the power to stone her righteously because he had not sinned, was Jesus. And what did he say to her? He said, go and stop sinning. Jesus alone is the one master that can tell you that you've been set free from your past sin and he's the one master that can give you the grace to go and stop sinning. Would you come to him and would you know him? That's the kind of master Jesus is. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper this morning, I want to ask you in your homes, wherever you are, to just ponder the message that we're being taught this morning in Romans 6. We've been made slaves of a new master, and boy, is it good to serve him because he's got a better life planned for you than you have for yourself. He knows how to set you free in a way that you do not know how to set yourself free. And I hope that you'll come to him. But the table that we're going to be gathered around in a moment is the table of the Lord, and on it is bread and cup, and I would ask you to go during this next song and find some bread and some juice or something to drink that will remind you of the bread representing Jesus' body that was broken and hung on the cross for your sin and the blood of Jesus represented in the cup that we'll partake of that represents his blood that was shed, spilled for your sin so that you could be washed clean. And I want to tell you, there's there's a place at Christ's table for you. There's a place for you. Will you confess and agree with God about the assessment he has about your sin? Will you believe in the one that he's provided to wash away your sin and to make you not a slave of sin but a slave to a new master, Jesus? And will you recognize that you can belong to him? I'll be praying for you that you'll do that today. Amen.
Amen. Thank you, worship team. Uh, that, that song is great, and it's a reminder of the message. And I want you to know this morning, Jesus is a bondage breaker. And you may not believe that in your heart <clears throat> because of your own experience. And uh, that's one of the lies that Satan wants to throw at Christians is that they're still slaves to sin. And um, believing from your heart means that you have convicted and convinced yourself that what God has said is true, that what Christ has done is real, and then you count on him being true and you present yourself to God in that way. This very table is an opportunity for us to present ourselves before the Lord, sin and all. We do not come to this table as righteous. Only in Jesus Christ do we. But we still carry the failings and fallings of people that have been redeemed. And so come to this table not because you're, you're, you're better or good. Come because you're a sinner with a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. Become because you've confessed your sin, you've believed in Christ from your heart, and you belong to him now. And so you have a place at the table. We read in the Bible that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks. And then he took the cup and he also gave thanks. Let us thank God this morning for the bread and the cup. Heavenly Father, now as we pause to present ourselves to you, not one of us here or at home or anywhere listening, not one of us is worthy in and of ourselves, but Lord, we've been made worthy by your sacrifice, Lord Jesus. And so we come because we've confessed, we've believed, and now we belong to you, a new master with a new life. And Lord, would you now receive our thanksgiving, God, for the, the incredible gratitude we have in our hearts, the joy of our salvation. Grant us a willing spirit from this table onward to serve you from the heart. Oh Lord, bless this bread and bless this cup as the reminder it needs to be for us of what it cost to purchase our salvation. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen. And now, brothers and sisters, wherever you are, would you eat the bread and you, would you drink the cup and be thankful? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for meeting us in all the ways that you have this morning. We remember that when you brought us to yourself, when you saved us from slavery to sin, you opened up a new life for us now and in the future and all, all of forevermore. I thank you, Lord, that we can stand in righteousness 
in your presence. And I thank you for the truth of that, that we can cling to now in every circumstance of our life. And when you brought us to that new life, Lord, you've also opened our eyes in a new way to see and to know and to want to proclaim that you are Lord of all. And this morning, as we've heard your word, I believe you've impressed on my heart and I'm sure many others how it is true that even in this new life, our hearts still tend to want to function as idol makers, that we still tend to want to fill the spaces and worship things that we can see that are around us instead of focusing on you. And Lord, we know that we can't change all these things ourselves on our own strength. We know that in this world we will not be perfect in a practical way but that you see our, us as righteous because of what you've done for us and that you also by your spirit and how you grow us, you give us the capacity and the desire to kill sin more and to exalt your name more. And I pray that you would do that in me and us, this church family. I pray that you would allow us to, to pour ourselves into lives around us that others would know you that way too. And Lord, I pray that you would be exalted in all of it. For you are Lord of all, our Christ alone, in whom we trust. Thank you for meeting us here. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Have a wonderful day. Mm -hmm.